Hey, what's going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to the first episode of Mod Chat in a long time. This is going to be the official reboot of Mod Chat, so to speak, but it's going to be a continuation. We are starting off at episode 56, and in case you do not know, this is a monthly or hopefully more than monthly podcast that I do here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, in which I kind of just take a few pieces of news over the modding world, some things that I find interesting, some recent developments, and I decide to talk about them on here. Now, it has been a while since I've done a episode of Mod Chat, and on top of that, this is going to be a bit of a different format, a bit of a different scenery as you can see here, and more importantly, this is also going to be recorded offline, and it's really just going to be myself on here. So, I will say, if you're going to be checking this out and you've been a fan of Mod Chat before, welcome back, and I would really appreciate your constructive criticism on here, not only to see what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, but also to improve the show for you all if I can in any way, and if if you are brand new to ModChat and you are checking this out, listening or watching for the first time, welcome. I have mentioned listening and watching because this is a podcast. If you want a visual component where I'm going to be showing, you know, some web screens and web screens, what the hell am I saying? I'm going to be showing some websites and such on here uh, of different things that I'm going to be looking at. You can definitely check out the video on the Mr. Mario 2011 channel. Otherwise, if you are wanting a audio-only version, just so you can hear about what I am talking about and such, you can check out Mod Chat by simply opening up your favorite podcasting platform or application, looking up Mod Chat and downloading and subscribing on there because these audio-produced episodes are also generally available shortly after the video is released. Now, for any longtime listeners or viewers who are going to be expecting a guest on here, again, this is going to be new. This is just going to be myself, and these episodes are really just going to be run all by myself on here. If I do have a guest, maybe there will be a guest an entire episode. Maybe it will be a guest for a certain segment. There's not going to be any guests on this one, but in the future, I would like to have that. Mainly, if there could be some other YouTubers, it could be friends, it could be developers over some of the things that I'm going to be talking about. And on top of that as well, too, uh, I am going in with, I'd say, a moderate amount of topics, but I would like to lessen it a little bit later. I am just kind of throwing in a decent amount this time around, simply because it's going to be the first episode of this reboot, and I kind of want to hit the ground running. So some of these topics might also be a little bit old, just because I want to talk about them. I really haven't talked about them in the last few months, and this is my outlet to do that. But in the next few episodes, expect hopefully more than one episode a month, and expect those episodes to maybe be shorter, but also be a little bit more focused on maybe a small handful of topics as opposed to dealing with 20 topics a month like we used to do. Anyways, let's go ahead and get into this with our first topic, which is going to be related to the Xbox 360. For anyone who doesn't know, the Xbox 360 is absolutely near and dear to me, and this was a huge surprise to see right at the beginning of the year on January 3rd. Evil Sperm from the Rebug team ended up saying, in case anyone missed it, the unreleased Rebug Zhao 360 RGH chip, Gerber's, BOM, Source, and Flashable Hex is in this zip. I'll eventually get to putting it up on rebug.me, but for now, here's the link. This device can also act as a standalone JTAG slash SPI as well, and this is a photo of what it looks like. A small photo, albeit, but still a cool-looking photo nonetheless of one of them that was fabricated. Now, I'd even asked here, this is awesome, thank you. Is there any specific reason why this was unreleased? 
When was this finished? And he ended up replying to me and said, yes, missed the window because CyberSkunk wanted to keep changing things, and it was already perfect. Now, some people might be thinking, what is the big deal with this chip being released? Well, first of all, it's a chip, it's a Xbox 360 product from Rebug, which I had personally never heard of. I think I was just slightly out of the loop of this because it was announced. I think there was some teasing and maybe even some pre-orders of it, and then it got canceled. But I didn't hear about it until this year, 2020. On top of that, it's also a new glitch chip that came out. It's not even a variant or an upgrade like we saw, I believe, last year, I want to say, or the year before with the X360 Ace, where he had the V4, the V4.1, and then the V5, which I've heard all those are kind of, eh, just go with a V3 if you're in the 360 scene. But anyways, in regards to this chip here, the other big thing, which I haven't seen with any other chip, is that you can use it not only as a glitch chip, but also as a NAND flasher. So let's say, as opposed to getting both of them, you just get one of these right here, you could simply use it as a NAND flasher between a whole bunch of systems. Or if you want to, I guess the idea that I was initially having here is if you want to brick-proof your system, so to speak, I guess you can say, you can wire it in like a glitch chip, wire it all into all the NAND points, and then that way you could even just keep the flasher in there, so to speak, because it's all one chip. So that way, if you ever end up bricking or destroying the NAND on your system, all you need is a mini USB cable. You hook it up into the chip. It's already wired in. Everything's good to go. You reflash your NAND. You repair whatever the hell you need to, and then you're good to go at that point. This is an awesome chip right here. And again, it's all open source. I absolutely love seeing that. It's all open source. It's ready to go. This is cool. Now, I haven't built out any of these. I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to rely on people who are going to be more handy than me to do that. But I have taken these, like, after this was released, I took this, I slid it to a few people I know who are pretty smart installers and such, and I'm like, hey, you should take a look at this thing right here. Definitely take a look at it. Next up, we're going to take it back a little bit further. We're going to be going to the original Xbox with Fat Explorer from Eaton. Now, for anybody who has used this tool before, this is a fantastic hard drive management tool for the Xbox 360. In my opinion, it's my favorite. Essentially, I mean, the, the best thing you can do about this is you can actually download this, hook up a 360 hard drive, and you can mount it just like any other drive on Windows. It makes it super easy to use. Absolutely love this. But it's really cool because Eaton is still working on this, and he had ended up updating this recently, saying, original Xbox support in action. And I have the webpage right here. I'll go ahead and let this video play out. But he says here, at long last, original Xbox support in FatX is in a very usable state. Below is a video showcasing the mounting of my hard drive image and the mounting of a hard drive image that has a custom partition table on it that someone generously provided. This is being done on a Windows 7 VM, even though Microsoft has recently ended support for it. It will still be a Fat Explorer 360 supported OS. Beta 1 is very near. Just a little more bug fixing is needed before emails go out to those who have shown interest in testing. So here, you're just seeing, if you're looking at the visual, at least on the video, this is really nice. It's such a clean-looking program. It looks absolutely lovely, and he's able to mount these images just fine. Now, so far, this is hard drive images. I haven't seen anything in regards to taking an actual, let's say, an IDE or a SATA hard drive, 
that has been configured and is working in an Xbox and just mounting that directly. I'm sure that's going to be functionality that's in there. I'm sure that's going to be the next step. Another thing that people might also be wondering is, well, what if my hard drive is locked? And that's a very good point as well, too, that we can really only speculate at this point. I'm going to make the educated assumption that this is going to only work with hard drive images and hard drives where they are unlocked or they might be locked, but you have the EEPROM containing the key and such on there. For anybody that does not know, a Xbox Originals hard drive is locked, meaning you cannot access it outside of the Xbox, and you can only access it with the Xbox motherboard that it has been paired to. Of course, if you modify the system, there's different things you can do. You can still lock it, and you can zero out the key. So as opposed to 32 random digits and such, you can just put in 32 zeros, and it works out. Or you can even unlock the hard drive, so you can use it on any mod hard-modded system, or load it up in a computer like this if you want to. But unfortunately, that lock has never been bypassed, unless, of course, you have the EEPROM, which you can then just unlock yourself. So that's the only way you're going to do it. The main thing I'm looking forward to on here is I have set up Xboxes before, like I would like to take an original Xbox, do my magic to it, and then throw on, you know, some things like Halo and some custom builds of it that I might have in regards to just games of Halo that will have different map packs and such on there, well, custom modified map packs, I guess I should say. This is going to make setting those up so much easier. Because at this point, I'll just simply be able to take the system itself, modify it, which will take a few minutes, and then let's say if it's a hard-modded system, I can unlock the hard drive, remove the hard drive out of the system, hook it up to my computer here, and then just transfer over those games. You know, if I'm using a SATA drive, I can just use my USB 3.0 adapter and transfer them at USB 3.0 speeds as opposed to fast Ethernet speeds. I mean, that will really save me some time as opposed to, you know, turning on my Xbox, setting up everything to FTP, and hoping it transfers properly over the course of four hours while I'm sleeping. So this is all good news right here. We just have this test. We just have about a paragraph told to us here, but this is something I have been looking forward to for a few years. And I'm really happy to see this kicking. Now, one thing I want to talk about is backporting games on the PS4. And this might get some people excited or some people might just be questioning what's going on with this. So let's talk about PS4's current state. If you have a PlayStation 4 on a low enough firmware, it's really 5.07, but I'm going to say 5.05 for this. If you're on 5.05 firmware or lower, you can jailbreak your system. And some of that functionality includes being able to backup and load backup games, be of course able to run unsigned code. So of course, homebrew, emulators, and all that other good stuff. You're able to do that on your system just fine. Now, the big issue that prohibits a lot of people, frustrates a lot of people, and really is just something that we haven't gotten over because it's not going to be possible at least to spoof a higher firmware and get this to work. Let's say you have a game that requires a firmware higher than 5.05. Let's say it requires firmware 6.0. If you put that into your PS4, there's no way you're going to be able to play that game unless you update. There is another method, though. You could backport it. And let's say it is a nice, shiny retail game. Well, the process for that is going to be you need to take that game, 
you need to then have someone who has a higher exploit available. So if they are able to privately jailbreak that 6.0 firmware, then they can take that game, they can dump it, thereby decrypting the game itself, and then they can repackage the game to work on a lower firmware, so long as it does not require any specific functionality of that higher firmware that it was originally intended to run on. So I hope you all are following at that. Now, the reason why backporting has been such a big talk recently in the PS4 community is because it's just kind of been the norm for a while. If a game requires any firmware higher than 5.05, you're not playing it on a jailbroken PS4. That's just it. And there's no other publicly available jailbreak out there. Everything has been exploited in private from what I see, but nothing is publicly available and it is what it is. So really, if your game has come out any time past, let's say, quarter one of 2018, you're not going to run that on a jailbroken PS4. But there's certain games that are leaking out. Read Remastered, Moons of Madness, Final Fantasy VII Remake Demo, not the full game, the demo, uh, and at least one or two other games have slowly started to leak out onto a few questionable websites. And these are brand new games that are working on low firmware, jailbroken PS4s before they're even officially released on, you know, fully updated PS4s. So what's going on with this? This goes back to a leak that happened earlier this year, and I believe the story was something along the lines of there was a QA testing house that had a server that was publicly accessible, and it had several different package files of games. All the games I had mentioned were included on that list, and I believe some others were Dreams and DMake98. Don't quote me directly, but I believe those were them. And there were a few other games that were thrown on there as well, too. Now, people had seen this, and of course they started grabbing the package files before this server was blocked off. And people started looking at them, they got excited because they said, this is Final Fantasy VII Remake, this is the demo of it, but we can't do anything with it because it requires a higher firmware, which everyone expected. But we can at least look at the assets of the package file and all that fun stuff, you know, the videos, the audio files, all that other fun stuff. The thing is, though... This wasn't completely true. You see, in order for a game to work on a retail system, it has to be retail signed. And Sony's going to be the only company that will be able to do that. And that also requires the game's binaries themselves. Think of this like the EXE file, the executable file. It's going to require those binaries to be encrypted. However, all of these games that were on that server, since this was a QA testing facility, they were all debug or test or development builds, whatever you want to call them. And when a game is in that debugging or testing or development state, it doesn't need to be retail signed. In fact, it's going to be stupid to do that because you're not going to be putting that build on a retail storefront. So therefore, these were unencrypted dev builds that were put up. And once people figured that out, they were able to get into the package files just fine and they were able to work their magic and then end up creating fake package file versions of these games that were backported to work on firmware 5.05. And that's how the PS4 jailbreak owners who have these low firmware systems have been able to play newer games before they're even releasing on the PlayStation Network storefront. Now, as exciting as this is for anybody who's indulging in that, uh, this is an anomaly. Don't expect this to happen again. I was shocked that it happened. It was really interesting to see all of this unfold. I think there's probably going to be some more stuff trickling out, but 
honestly, the, the next time we see anything like this, it's going to be when there's going to be a upcoming private exploit that will go public. The main reason why I'm citing this is because when the 4.05 exploit was the latest available jailbreak, shortly before 4.55 became publicly available, there were a few games that started being backported and they were leaking out and they were working on lower firmwares. So one of them, for example, was Horizon Zero Dawn. It did not work out of the box on 4.05. However, there was a build of the game that was circulating that was working on 4.05. And then a few days later, the 4.55 jailbreak ended up coming out. The reason why that happened is because somebody who had that 4.55 jailbreak was again able to take the retail game, they dumped it, which in turn also decrypted it on their system, and they just repackaged it to work on a lower firmware before the full exploit came out. That's how it worked. That That's the next time we're going to see anything like this. So in terms of a new jailbreak for the PS4, we're still going to be waiting. The other thing I wanted to mention was on Al Azif's Twitter, where he said, I'm dying right now. Good call, Star Melter. And there's this screenshot right here of Bloodstained. This is the package file for Bloodstained itself. Now, for anybody that does not know, this is a game that requires a firmware higher than 5.05 and he is exploring the package file itself. So what's going on right here? Y you see, another thing I wanna talk about with package files is that every package file is essentially encrypted with a key. And the only way to unlock that package file to actually look at the contents and modify them, extract them, do whatever you want to, is you need that key. Now, there are several games that are built with the Unreal Development Kit. And the Unreal Development Kit, when you are exporting your game out into a package file, it has a default key. And most companies are going to change it. However, there's a lot of games that did not change this key. So that means that there are a lot of retail games that are out there that require a higher firmware. And you can take the default Unreal Development Kit key and pop it in and use that to explore the contents of a package file. Before anybody gets excited though, this is really cool that you can explore the contents, that you could check out certain things in there, and even the stuff that is unencrypted, let's say like music files, photos, videos, all that stuff, awesome, we can take a look at that. However, the actual binaries of the game itself, as I mentioned, are retail signed, which means they are encrypted, which means that even though you can explore all the files there, you're not going to be doing anything to backport that game to get it working on a lower firmware or even to the binary file itself unless you have an unencrypted version of the game or you have a higher firmware exploit available to you in which you can decrypt that game. That's the only thing you're going to be able to do, but it's kind of a funny flub and it's cool to see nonetheless. So let's talk about ROM hacking. More specifically, let's talk about Super Mario 64 ROM hacking. Now there's a lot of really cool ROM hacks out there for Super Mario 64, of course, because it's a Mario game, it has a lot of love, and there's a lot of impressive things people have done, but this one is actually a reduced lag ROM hack of anything, so a big quality of life one that I wanted to talk about. Here this released on romhacking.net and it is called Super Mario 64 Reduced Lag. And the description is, after Super Mario 64 was finally decompiled back into its source code, it was discovered that Nintendo failed to use the O2 compression method when they compiled the game originally. 
This knowledge has existed for months, but now there's a way for anyone to get the benefits of an O2 compressed Super Mario 64 with a simple patch rather than command-lined Kung Fu and Unix. This patch almost completely erases the lag in Super Mario 64, including the lag caused by the infamous Bowser sub, which now runs at nearly full speed even when the entire sub is in view works on native N64 hardware with an EverDrive. And right here, this is just the exact version that this is created for. So if you're going to be patching this, make sure you have the right version and then you patch it as such. Now, quickly, there were a few people who delved into this. One of them was Matt Casey, who did a great video in which he took his copy of Super Mario 64, he patched it, and then compared it to the original one versus the patched one, and it was, it was a noticeable difference, yeah, like, indeed, this did get the game running nicer. It worked out real well. So a lot of people were saying, what the hell, did Nintendo just not compile this with O2 compression? And that's when MVG, Modern Vintage Gamer, friend of the show, ended up making a video covering this as well, too. Now, I'm going to have both these videos, Matt KC's and Modern Vintage Gamer's videos, linked in the description on YouTube. So I really recommend you check them out. But in short, MVG looked at this and he said, yes, it was not compiled with O2 compression on there. However, it wasn't compiled with O2 compression because that functionality simply wasn't available or it was too buggy. I, I believe it was it was not available at the time that the game was being compiled and being released to the US. It was available later on, which is why the PAL version of Super Mario 64 actually has O2 compression. However, because the Super Mario 64 PAL version runs at 50 hertz as opposed to 60 hertz, yeah, you have the O2 compression, so you have a nicer, I guess a more optimized build of the game, but factually you also have a slower build of the game simply due to it being run in PAL. So that's what you run into. The NTSC version, which uh, unfortunately every NTSCU version of the game is not running with that O2 patch on there, but I did find out that the... I don't even remember what it's called. I don't know how to say it. It is a special edition or I guess enhanced version of the game that came out in Japan. It starts with an S. It has a bunch of bug fixes in there, which is why it really doesn't get sped run or anything because people can't use all the, you know, different bugs and such that were in the original version. But that version is actually the only NTSC, the only officially released NTSC version that I've seen with O2 compression on there. So that will perform the best out of any of them officially, at least. I also wanted to bring this up because I want to give a huge shout out to the N64 decomp or N64 decompilation team. Uh, they, <laughs> they actually really enjoyed Mod Chat. I believe it was the second to last episode, episode 54, I want to say, when we were covering this, when we were doing it live, apparently the entire N64 decomp team was there in chat watching, and they were all real nice people. I'll admit, I was a little bit nervous at the time because I was like, I don't want to flub something like this, but I had Devin with me who understood coding real well, and they were able to clarify things for us. They corrected a few things, and they really liked our coverage on it overall because at that time, it was a leaked version that had come out and now, since that episode, the full version has come out. But I also kind of want to touch on that as well, too, for anybody that doesn't know. What the hell am I talking about? Well, there is this team, as I mentioned, the N64 decomp team, where what they were doing is they were trying to decompile the 
NTSCU first release of Super Mario 64. And that allows you to look at the source code and do all this other fun stuff right here. So it can be beneficial for ROM hacks. It can be beneficial where we can do something like this and actually improve the game. And uh, theoretically, we could even port the game itself. So all you really need to do once you have all this, you need the work that the N64 decomp team has compiled and released, and then you need a matching ROM of the game. And once you pair those two together, you can fully decompile that ROM and get every single bit of source code, bit for bit. And then if you want to, you can then take that and throw it into your compile and compile it, and you can compile your own build of Super Mario 64. And if you don't change the source code at all, it'll be completely identical to what Nintendo had released. That's pretty damn cool. So what's an episode of Mod Chat without Switch talk? This is something that always comes up, and I think it's still going to be happening every single episode. Well, wait, no, if I'm going to only be doing a few topics per episode, unless I make sure that every topic is specifically Switch, well, every episode has a Switch-related topic, I don't know. Now I'm nervous, maybe we'll break that tradition. Either way, I typically bring up Switch-related stuff in every episode of Mod Chat, and it looks like it's going to be happening now. You see, this is not going to be modding-related, but this is just something I wanted to bring up. Switch production delayed in China due to coronavirus outbreak, and this is from Gamma Sutra, and it's a very quick article that says verbatim here, Nintendo has told consumers in Japan to expect Switch production and shipping delays as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. As reported by Reuters, Nintendo CEO Shintaru Furukawa said the outbreak will cause unavoidable disruption to production of the Switch console and peripherals, such as the Joy-Con controllers in China. Although the company chose to move certain aspects of Switch production from China to Vietnam last year as a result of rising political tensions between the East Asia country and the US, China remains a key part of the supply chain. Since breaking out in Wuhan, China, the coronavirus has infected over 28,000 people globally and resulted in the deaths of 565. Despite most of those cases being located in China, the World Health Organization has declared the outbreak a global health emergency. So there's two reasons I wanted to bring this up. One, coronavirus. Be careful with it. Be careful out there, everyone. I, I don't want anybody watching or listening to this to get the coronavirus. Be safe. Watch where you're going. Wash your damn hands, okay? Wash your damn hands at minimum. You'll have no idea how many, I'm just gonna rant on this, you'll have no idea how many people I see who are fully grown adults who they'll go to a public restroom and they use the bathroom and then just walk out like it's nothing. They don't use Purell, they don't wash their hands. There's free soap and water right there. Just use it. Or the other thing is when somebody's going to the bathroom, but you can hear it. Like it's extremely audible and you hear it, and then you hear that toilet flush and they just walk out. And that's it. That is that is such a disgust. Like, look, I, I find disgusting humor to be funny. And I'm sorry if this is funny, but it's not funny. All right? This is really not funny. This is my health at risk, okay? It's because of dirty people like this that I was getting sick in school, all right? That I would get sick in campuses, that I might get sick at a workplace. Dirty people who don't wash their hands. And you want to do this shit while the coronavirus is, a, is an epidemic, that the World Health Organization is putting out. On top of that, it just goes to show as well too that stuff like this is going to affect even little thing, little, little things, I guess. But things like the Switch or things like production of any peripherals. And there's even rumors saying that production of the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X might be delayed because of all of this. I don't know if they're going to miss their 2020 release marks. That'd be really something if those companies did. But... 
I, I think there's probably going to be a shortage of those systems, not only with the new hotness being dropped this holiday season, but on top of that, I'm sure that, you know, all these companies not working at full capacity or even working at all for months on end is really going to delay them. But yeah, if I can educate you all on the coronavirus and wash your damn hands, I'm happy I can. But let's get into some actual Switch modding, and with that, I do have one thing I want to talk about here, which is some new products from Team Executor. You see, this video was released from the Team Executor YouTube channel, and it's called a preview of Team Executor SX Core for Nintendo Switch. I'm just going to pause it. As you can see right here, that is a regular Nintendo Switch that has been opened, and this is the actual chip install itself. So this is going to be the first product from Team Executor that is being marketed as an internal solution of some kind. Now, I'm going to throw this back a little bit. For anybody who might possibly remember when uh, SX was initially teased and initially announced, SX was actually going to be an internal and solderless solution. They had said that, yes, we are going to have solder-based and solderless solutions, but when we saw more stuff come out, we end up seeing, you know, the jig with the payload injector, and that's the only solution we had. Yes, you can take apart the payload injector and solder it in to have a solder-based solution, but it's certainly not marketed that way. This, however, is only going to be solder-based, so... Those are about all the photos we saw. It's just kind of, you know, three photos right here. That's about it. Now, to answer a few questions about this, uh, we're going to go into the comment section here. So, one person had asked, So, it is the same as the SX Pro, but internal soldered? Or what exactly? And Team Executor responded with, Internal, with a few basic soldering points, and works on patched models. Mariko models, the ones that currently can't work with external USB dongles and Joy-Con jigs, and similar model is coming out also for Switch Lite consoles. Someone asked, does this work with the V2? And they replied, yes, SX Core is for all classic models, dockable with removable Joy-Cons, original pre-June 2018, patched after June 2018, Mariko, Redbox Better Battery, and another TX mod is also coming soon called the SX Lite for all those with the latest Switch Lite consoles. The last thing here is, I hate to be the pesky guy who asks this, but is there any foreseeable release window? You teased it as early 2020 last time and got really hyped for it. There are a lot of features that N Nintendo should provide, but just can't be bothered. And Team Executor replied with, These first 300 units are rolling out soon to the testers that apply via our email and fit the testing requirements. So final production for the public masses is not too far off. Stay tuned. Now, Jake Friedel, otherwise known as Zebular Zero on Twitter, actually tweeted out to me and MVG and said here, So the good news is I'm a tester. The bad news, I may contract Corona. So yeah, coronavirus is even affecting all of this. And let's just take a look at the email he had gotten. Team Executor said, Hello, thanks for emailing us. You seem the right fit as a tester. We will need your address and a phone. The courier requires a phone to deliver to send you that sample. Please remind us in your reply if you need the SX Core or SX Lite product. We will send you tracking number and instructions soon. Meanwhile, if it is not already done, go to executor.rocks. Open an account and mail back here the account name or if you have already one. Just give the account number so we can add you to the group. One last thing, please be patient. It might take another two weeks before we can ship. This coronavirus is not a small joke. 
where we produce this stuff. All is paralyzed. We already, by factory, are closed. But be sure we are just like you, very excited to get this into your hands as soon as possible. We will keep you posted in the channel. So there we go. In short, there's going to be two new products that are coming out. There's going to be SX Core, which will work on all versions of the regular Switch, the exploitable versions, the eye-patched versions, and the Mariko versions. And there's also going to be SX Lite, which of course is going to work on a Switch Lite such as this. Uh, I myself am interested in this. Yes, I know the overall consensus is SX Team Executor bad, and I do understand what they all have done. Uh, I've seen all the threads. I've reported on a ton of it here, of course. You all know that if you followed the podcast for a while. But I'm interested in this simply because it is. it looks like it's going to be the first publicly available way to get anything working on, you know, something like this right here. Plus, the other thing that I don't think a lot of people are really taking into account is this is going to open up the doors for any type of open source type products. So I'm not saying you have to get this, but I know there's going to be other independent homebrew developers who are going to pick these up. They're probably going to reverse engineer it and try and develop something simple. I'm sure there's also going to be methods where you can pick up these devices and reflash them to run a different kind of payload. So if you want to load Cosmos, if you want to load Atmosphere, Rain-X is really not developed anymore, so I guess those are the only variants that you're going to release. But mind you, you can launch different payloads. Even within SXOS, when you launch it at the home screen, you can launch a different payload. I'm really not trying to be an apologist here. I'm just stating the things that you can do and some things that I'm hopeful that the community or the firmware or Executor will allow you to do on here. Uh, but also, I do have this thing here because this is not mine. This is my girlfriend's, and uh, we are planning to install it in here. I guess I'd be planning to install it, but yeah, hopefully it'll be a fun time. Now, here's something I had thought about if I really want to talk about, and I said, you know what, for the reboot of this, and because we have talked about things like this, yeah, I want to talk about this. StarCraft Ghost, has anyone heard of it? If anybody does not know about this, hopefully I'm going to not provide a super short bastardized version of it, even though I'm going to, I guess, here. Point is, it was a spin-off StarCraft game that was going to be releasing on consoles and was going to be a third-person shooter adventure type game. I remember this. Like, as a kid, I remember seeing this in magazines. I remember seeing previews of this. Hell, my mom, who's not technologically apt at all or really into the gaming scene, she knew about this. According to her, it was covered in some type of capacity on CNN. And I don't know if it was. Like, maybe somebody can confirm that and pull up the original, like, the news stuff from when that was talked about, if ever. But that's how she knew about it. Because she asked me one day after school when I was a kid. She's like, hey, have you heard of that StarCraft ghost? Yeah, I was seeing this on CNN. I was like, what? Even my mom knows about this. Are you kidding me? And I myself, I'm not a StarCraft fan by any means. And I don't mean that in a way that I hate StarCraft. It's just I don't play StarCraft. That's all it is. But this looked really cool. And this looked like it could have appealed to people like me who weren't into StarCraft at all, who had only a game console, not a computer to play it on, or not a working computer or what have you. And it looked like a really cool project. Unfortunately, it was canceled. But... It exists in the wild, and it got leaked out this year as well, too. Now, I'm not going to be linking to a page on this because, I mean, that 
really starts to get to piracy on here and such. So this is just me reporting on this overall. But even so, because this is from Blizzard or Blizzard Activision, Activision Blizzard, I want to be a little bit careful with how I am delivering it here. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you all how I had found out about it, how I was alerted to this, and if you all, I'm not going to condone looking for it any further, but I cannot control the actions of what people do. All right, let's look at this here. So a good friend of mine and also someone who's extremely trustworthy here, Andrew Borman, otherwise known as Borman or Borman18, end up saying here, who would have thought a month ago that StarCraft Ghost would leak in some form? And he also said, note that this is not for me, has nothing to do with my work, and was posted anonymously throughout various Xbox groups, reporting just reporting the news. I will not share leaks, nor do I condone of sharing the leaks in this thread. Should you find a link for it, use the usual caution for web downloads. I haven't verified any of the links, so. And the last thing he said was, apparently a video was uploaded a month ago, so not as big of a surprise? Just pay attention to that, and that's all I'm going to say. Also, I like MVG right here. He said debug XBE, PDB, and Matt Files 2. Nice. Indeed, I agree. That's nice. I, I just wanted to share this for a few reasons. One of them is that this right here is just... Th this is awesome that this was preserved, especially something from Blizzard, which is totally normally under lock and key. It's really cool seeing this not only preserved, but now available for some people to try for the first time. And on top of this as well, too... This is kind of one of those childhood dreams right here. Like, again, I was a small one when I had heard about this game, and I thought it was so cool, and then I saw nothing about it, and then I found out it was canceled. Maybe that's why I never really got into StarCraft. I don't know. Either way, it's really cool that this is now accessible, if you have the means to get it, if you have the hardware to play it on, and all that other fun stuff. If let, Let's see if we see some more videos, some more photos, some more investigation on this. I'm not sure, but all I can gather, like I looked into this a little bit further so far, all I can gather is that this was on a debug original Xbox, a debug kit, and then with some help from the community, it was pulled off of that kit and it was archived and... It's available wherever things are available, I guess. Now let's wrap this up with something so cool that it's almost meme-worthy. And this was also brought up to me on Twitter. I thought it was absolutely amazing right here. So for anybody that doesn't know, we have talked about this before. Actually, wait, no, I don't know if we talked about this one because it happened during the mod chat hiatus. So, of course, the first thing we've talked about is the Switch. It has a boot ROM exploit in the fume of, for, of Fuse Jelly. That's how, if you have a unpatched original Switch, you're able to launch Homebrew and do all that other fun stuff on there. Well, iPhones also have a new jailbreak in the form of CheckRain, which utilizes a boot ROM exploit. Keep that in mind. The Switch uses a boot ROM exploit. iPhone, boot ROM exploit. So now let's look at what Lord Fricky did here. He said, looks like the rain has come over to the Nintendo Switch. And right here, I, I just want to show you all this photo and explain what is going on. That is the Nintendo Switch that's utilizing the boot ROM exploit to boot up into L4T Ubuntu, which means Linux for Tegra Ubuntu because the Switch runs on a Tegra chip. So as you can see right there, he is running his Switch. He was able to use the boot ROM exploit to boot into Ubuntu. 
and then is utilizing CheckRain on Ubuntu because CheckRain was recently ported over to Linux. And as you can see, it says iPhone 6 connected to DFU mode. So at this point, this man has just used a boot ROM exploit to boot up Linux on a Nintendo Switch to then utilize a boot ROM exploit to then jailbreak a iPhone 6 from a Nintendo Switch. I, I just, I love everything about this. Oh, and also he's saying right here, if you use WebRain, you can jailbreak your iDevice with a Chromebook. Well, kind of. These are a few of the photos right here that he's shown off. All right, that's it. And then here, the last thing he was saying was, the device still needs to be connected to the actual computer that is running CheckRain to work. So it's kind of useless to control it from a Chromebook, when you can use it from the host machine. Now, the best thing is, at least to me, just to finish this off, I thought this was really funny, so I had tweeted about it and kind of explained what was going on here, and then he ended up following up with me just to put some icing on the cake and said, and then trigger the boot ROM exploit of the Switch from an iPhone to create a jailbreak loop. So at this point, he's just gone back and forth on here. Again, he went from Switch boot ROM exploit to iPhone boot ROM exploit to now iPhone boot ROM exploit to switch boot ROM exploit. Thank you for this, Lord Fricky or Daniel. I, I really appreciate this. This just, the, the, this made me really happy seeing this all. And that, my friends, is Mod Chat episode 56 wrapped up. This is the first episode of the Mod Chat reboot, and I really hope you all liked this and appreciated it and enjoyed it. If you did, let me know down below in the comments section of the YouTube upload what you thought of it. Again, any constructive criticism is not only welcomed, it's really needed as well too, as this is kind of a reboot, so to speak. This is kind of the fourth iteration of it, First iteration of Mod Chat was, of course, the um, the offline podcast that Daniel Dopesoner and I had done, where we were just discussing, you know, kind of overall topics back and forth. Then the second season, I guess you can say, was when we decided to take it live streaming and talk about the news and such. Third season was when I did that with Devin or Paranoid Coder, and the fourth one is what we're doing right here. So. As always, I also like to provide a keyword, and if you use this keyword in your comments, down below in the comment section of the YouTube upload, I will know that you made it to the very end of listening or watching this, or maybe both, I'm not sure. Let's see, let's see. Let's use Seattle, how about that? I'm saying that because I'm just like seeing my Seattle mug right here. If you use the word Seattle, you love Seattle, you hate Seattle, you wanna visit Seattle, Seattle is one of your favorite trips, Seattle is cold, whatever it was. Who's opening my door? Either, Lily. Oh my God, this was not scripted at all, I swear. Let me, let me get Lily. Lily, no! Apologies for the off-sync audio right now on the visual itself. When I end up picking up Lily, that actually ended up knocking my microphone and muting it, so I have to record this last part in the editing room floor, but that's how it works out for first episode of a reboot. Anyways, again, I would like to see the keyword Seattle with whatever you're going to choose, and if I see that word used, I'll know that you made it to the end. Anyways, this is Mr. Mario, signing off. Thank you all for watching and listening, everyone. And until next time.